0: Good morning. Good morning. How are you all doing? I'll tell you what, I'm going to say you guys look wonderful. It's great to see so many of you today. Um, it's a blessing to be here and to have you guys here with us. Let's give a wonderful hand to our amazing worship team. Great job this morning, guys. And the guys at the back who also get forgetting from time to time. But I remember you. Don't worry. We love you. Well done, guys. Um, all right. Let's pray. Um, Dear God, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Uh, God, we thank you that your spirit is already here and moving. And we thank you for what you're going to do. Lord, prepare our hearts to hear from you. And Lord, prepare us to act on what what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, Believe it's your word. And you're going to do something radical in our lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, if I was to tell you, that in this envelope was everything you ever needed in your life, what would you do? You come and take it. Yeah? Yeah? I wouldn't have to coerce you. I wouldn't have to encourage you to come and take it. You'd come and get it, right? Right? (laughs) There we go. And then if I was to tell you that in this envelope was everything that all the people that you know needed would you get it or would you keep it to yourself what would you do you come and get it and the reason why we do that is because we've been blessed and we want to bless other people isn't it yeah because we've got all we need and so we now want to give to those that are in our circle that we care about that we love about and we want to give them everything that they need right so this morning we're talking about evangelism, uh, and I guess the title of my message, if you want to put one, is called, It's Good to Talk, yeah. because ultimately it is good to talk, yeah. reminded of the uh, telephone advert, and I used to, it, used to, it used to annoy me, but anyway, I've coined it this morning, so I guess it didn't annoy me that much, and I would say right from the start, yeah, right from the get-go. We must evangelize. Yeah? Um, I think it's good to start with the truth and start with the, the hard facts, right? We must evangelize. If you are a Christian in here, then you must evangelize. And basically what evangelize means, or evangelism, so if you hear me say that word throughout my talk this morning, understand what I mean. And what I mean is, we must tell other people about the good news of Jesus Christ, And we must tell people about the good news of the gospel. And more than that, we must tell the truth of the gospel and not dumb it down or make it appealing to them so that they accept the gospel that we want to tell them so that they come to Christ. Okay? So it's important that we tell them the gospel. And I guess a prefix to that is that you understand the gospel yourself before you can tell people the gospel. Um, But ultimately, as Christians, if you're a Christian in here today, our responsibility is to evangelize. We've been given something of infinite value and so we don't keep it to ourselves. Because if I care about you, if I care about Tony, if I care about Barry and Vicky, then there's something that I've got that has blessed me and therefore I want to bless them. Yeah? I want them to experience the joy that I've experienced if I can give it to them. Um, Turn with me, if you will, to Mark chapter 16, turn or tap in your apps, and if you've got neither, it'll be on the screen. Um, And We're going to read a a very well-known passage of scripture, Um, and a lot of people call it the Great Commission, Um, but there are a couple of things that I want to point out from it. Like You probably know it if you've grown up in church, it's one of those scriptures that you know, yeah? But... I think there's a couple of things to point out before we move forward. And we're going to read verse 14 and 15, then jump down to verse 19. Are we there? Awesome. Oh, great. Right. It says, Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. Verse 15, and he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Verse 19, so then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. It's a very well known passage, isn't it? Yeah, you might not read as far down as verse 19 sometimes, but I would encourage you to read portions of scripture instead of verses. Um, but it's a very well-known scripture. There are a few things I want to point out. The first thing is, when I'm finished here on the stage, what's, what, what would you expect me to go and do? After, have a coffee? <laughs> but immediately after, I'm going to go and sit down, right? Yeah. Because when I'm finished, that signifies what? That I've done what I came to do. Yeah. Okay? Yeah, and so we read in verse 19... That after he'd spoken to them, he was taken into heaven, and Jesus did what? Sat down. You see, oftentimes, we can pray for God to do things when he's like, I've done what I needed to do. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah? So, let's take this scenario into, into account. Yeah. Jesus came, he was born, yes? He lived on the earth, he died, then he rose again. He reappeared and went back to heaven. Yeah? So he'd done all he had to do. He'd done all that he was sent on the earth to do. And sometimes we can say, God, I want you to do more. I want you to show more. Give me more. Give me more of yourself. Give me more of who you are. And God's like, I've given you everything. Now you go. Yeah? Jesus sat down because he had finished all he had to do. And so, we're talking about evangelism, and in the context of that, what I'm saying is, it's now time for us to go and do what he's given and told us to do, yeah? Let's not wait, let's not pray for a big move of God, when we, in fact, look to the person on your left, if there's someone on your left, look to the person on your right, okay? The people you've looked at, they are the move of God that we're going to see in Warrington. This place is full this morning, but I'm going to tell you it's not enough. Why? Not because I'm greedy. Not because I, 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 I want to be up here and be like, woohoo, look at a, a, a full hall of people. But because there are more people out there that need the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we, all of us in this room, the kids... The youth, they're the next generation, right? But even they can go and take the gospel of Jesus Christ to their friends. We are the move of God that we are going to see. So yes, we can expect God to do great things, but I'm going to suggest that some of the things we're waiting for, God's waiting for us to go and do. He's given us everything we need, now we should go. Verse 14, what we see is that Jesus appeared to the disciples. They saw him. And after he, they'd seen him, he gave them the commission. Have you seen Jesus? Has he changed your life? Has he impacted who you are so that you are no longer the person you ought to be? Jesus appeared to them. And then he gave the commission. Because we often read the commission, just go. But it's important that if you've seen Jesus, then you go. Because you go with what you have seen. Because what what were they telling people? They were saying, I have seen the Christ. I have seen him that is risen. He was dead and now he's alive. I have seen him. Have you seen Jesus? And if you're saved and your life has been changed, I'm going to answer that question for you. Yes, you have. Okay? We have all seen Jesus if we're saved in this place this morning. And so because we've seen, we take what we have seen of him and we tell the people around us. We tell the people that we meet. It says, go into all the world in verse 15. The, all, all the world is all of your world. We often think of far countries that you have to jump on a plane. But how about, this is, we, this is part of the world, isn't it? Yes? And so this part of the world needs reaching, right? And so we need to go into all our world and preach the gospel. And tell people of the good news of what we've seen. That Jesus Christ is Lord and he cares and loves you where you are. You should come and see him. And then in verse 15. Just a question. Who was the instruction given to? Disciples. How would we simply describe a disciple? A follower of Jesus. If you are saved, what are you? A follower of Jesus. Because oftentimes we can save the evangelism thing For certain people, we can let other people do the graft. And look at that amazing um, evangelist, Reinhard Bonkin, those guys, right? We say, these guys are amazing. Billy Graham, look at these guys. These guys are awesome. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a disciple. And the instruction was given to disciples, and therefore, the instruction is also given to you and to me. And therefore, we must go and share the gospel. It's our responsibility to talk to the people and show the people. Like, yes, talking is good. It's good to talk, as I said before. But you also have to demonstrate the love of Christ. In how we live our lives, in how we respond to situations. If you're in work, how do you respond to your boss when he's annoyed everybody in the team? Do you respond the same way they respond? Or even though it's annoying the situation, you still show the love of Christ. Even if you are a boss, how do you treat those that are under you? Do you treat them as if they're under you? Or do you give them the same love and respect that you would give other people? Or that you would give your subordinates. And if you're right at the top, how do you treat everyone else In your schools, in your colleges, in your universities, wherever you find yourself, how are you demonstrating the truth of the gospel? Because the gospel can be demonstrated. Because when we're seeing people that are mistreated or being picked on, how do we respond? Do we stand with them or do we leave them? Do we stand up for them or do we say, oh, that's such a bad thing that's happening to these guys. The gospel is to be demonstrated as well as proclaimed. And we must do both. It's funny because I often tell young people that people are always watching you. Someone is always watching you. And I know we like to just go about our day-to-day and do the things that we want to do, but we forget that people are always watching us. And particularly if you then proclaim who you are and that you're a a child of God, they're watching you all the more. Because they want to see what's different between them and you. They want to see if you're going to live up to what you're proclaiming. Yeah. Yeah, because if you proclaim that Jesus is Lord and he's changed your life and you're this new person... They're going to see what's new about you, right? And they want to see where the difference between you is and what, what they are and where they are. And that makes it sound like it's all about us, but we've been given the Holy Spirit, yes? Like, sometimes we pray for the Holy Spirit, but we've been given the Holy Spirit. He is in you, he's living and active, and all the power of the Holy Spirit is in you to go and be who God has called us to be. And to go and share the gospel, and go and speak to our friends, the people that are in our circle. The people that we care about, yeah? The people that we, if something happened to them, you'd be affected by it. Yes, there is the proclaiming on the streets, there is space for that. And that's right to do, and, and there should be times when we do that, when we go out and evangelize on the streets. Because one, you never know who God's going to bring your way. But there's also the relationships that we have. There's also the people that we've known, that know us, who don't walk in the same way that we walk. That don't think, right, Sunday I need to be in the house of God with the people of God. They find other things to do with their time that don't meet up with the people of God during the week, those people that we still care about, they too need the gospel. And why wouldn't we give them the gospel? Because if we care about them, and we believe that God has done such an amazing thing for us, why wouldn't we give them the gospel? Why wouldn't we find a way to mention what, we're, what, what we do with our time? You see... When I was younger, I had a girlfriend, alright, hard to believe for some, but when I was younger, I had a girlfriend. I was with this girl for some time, and one of my friends came up to me one day and she said, you've been with this girl for some time, but you never speak about her. It's almost like you're ashamed or she doesn't exist, (coughs) which was kind of ironic because it was a weird relationship putting it out there. Um, I think if truth be told, I probably was a little bit ashamed because of how weird it was, because if they started probing and asking questions, I'd be like, don't really want to answer that question and find a way to swerve it or, or to push it to one side. Fast forward, I get married to my beautiful wife who was up here to sing this morning. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. Rachel, you did a great job as well. <laughs> um, and then I get married, and then I find ways to bring it into conversations. Yeah. <laughs> no one has to say, "What's that on your finger?" Yeah. It's like, "Oh, how are you doing? Oh, I'm great. Yeah, I'm married. We've got a wife, and." Da-da-da-da-da. Like I find a way to bring it in. Yeah. And then fast- forward, we have a son, Gideon, some of you know him, really active. It's he's such a blessing. And I find a way to tell people, I'm married. I've got a son. He's this high. Even though you think he's three, he's only one. He's great. This is my family. I love them. Yeah? yeah? I find a way to bring it into conversation. Yeah. No one has to probe me or ask me, oh, do you have a wife? Do you have a child? I tell, they know that about me. As a matter of fact, Io is married with a son. I might keep his name secret because I'm a bit weird like that. But they still know. They still know that about me. Sometimes I've probably told too many people and I look a bit strange. But you get the point. No one has to coerce me or encourage me to spread the news that I've got a wife and I've got a son. When we get to... To work in a, on a Monday morning, or we speak to people on a Monday. How was your weekend? Yeah, it was fine. Oh no, I had a great yesterday. Yesterday in church on Sunday, church. I remember the time when I I worked at a solicitors firm in Bolton, and it was I'd probably say 98% um, Muslim in terms of the faith of the of the of the firm. And there were things that were going on there that slightly annoyed me, but. And I was like, God, oh God, I don't want to be there. It reflected in my attitude, I believe, at the time. No one said anything to me, but I knew in myself that I should probably act a bit different. Then God challenged me and said, how about you start praying for the people that you work with? And when I did that, it changed my heart towards them. Yeah. And before you know it, there were so many opportunities for me to talk to people about my faith. I say 98% of the, the people that worked there were, were, were Muslim to the point where on a Friday they would allow them to go to the mosque and do their Friday prayers. Just what it, just what, what it was. And initially I was like, I'm a Christian, I'm going to chill, I'm going to stay where I am until God changed my heart for them. Sometimes God needs to change our heart for people. And then we see them the way God sees them. And then we think about them the way God thinks about us. And we say, these people need a saviour. These people need the good news that we have. Yeah. If it's good news, you don't keep it to yourself. If, like how many of us, Vicky mentioned it before, but how many of us support a, a team of some sort, whether football or, or rugby? And how many of us openly wear the emblem or the badge of that team? As a representation of the team we support. Or do you watch a TV show? And the first thing you want to do is tell people about, oh, can you imagine that episode and what it was like? That's the first thing you want to do. We should be out there speaking to the people in our world. Mm -hmm. Telling them the good news of the gospel. Telling them that we spend our time in church. Because this is not normal, okay? This is not normal, what most people do. Most people do not, week in, week out, wake up on a Sunday morning, go to a building, sit, lift their hands, jump around, sing songs. Like, it's not normal. Something must have captured your heart in order for you to want to do that. And if something has captured your heart, share that with the people that you love. Share that with the people that you, that you come in contact with. Don't keep it to yourself. And to be honest, that's like the top and bottom of the, the sermon, really. It's good for us to talk. But what I, I want to do is I want to um, give us some ideas or concepts in terms of how we go about Sharing with the gospel. And we're going to read a fairly large passage of scripture. I'm going to have to shoot through it because the clock telling me I need to move on. Um, but it's the gospel of John chapter 4. We're going to read verse 1 to 30 and then 39 and four to 42. It will be on the screen. It says... Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. Now that verse can be a bit misleading because the route from Judea to Galilee didn't actually require that you go through Samaria. And so what it meant was that Jesus was led by the Spirit to go through Samaria. And sometimes we will be led by the Spirit to go to certain places. Okay? And we must follow the leading and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And it's a bit like training wheels sometimes. Yeah? You're on on your bike, and to begin with, you're a bit shaky. (laughs) Then you get better practice at it. Better practice. Then the training wheels come off. Then you're flying down hills, doing stunts and all sorts. But ultimately, we learn to be led by the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, it says, So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Again, let's stop there. Because sometimes the picture that we get of Jesus is of this saintly, ethereal Jesus that cannot be touched. You look at some of the pictures, blonde hair, he's shining, he's glimmering. And you think, listen, I can get some principles from that guy, but I can't relate to that guy. But the picture we see here of Jesus is a man who was wearied from his journey. He was tired from his journey, which tells us that the Jesus that we know, Knows what we feel. The Jesus that we know can experience and has experienced the things that we, we experience. And so when we're speaking to people who are hurt, we know a Jesus that knows how they feel. We know a God who knows exactly what they feel and where they are and can relate exactly to where they are. And we give them that Jesus. We don't give them this Jesus that can't be touched or they can't relate to. We give them a God who relates to exactly where they are. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, weary from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, "Who is it? how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God... come on, the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said, you are right in saying I have no husband for you have had five and the one you are now with is not your husband what you have said is true the woman said i perceive you are a prophet <laughs> our fathers worshipped on this mountain you know what i'm going to jump down for the sake of time um we'll go back we'll go back through it don't worry one of the things that i think we see in this is a microcosm of our world because we live in a world full of broken people yeah people who are hurting people that have experienced so much and they're finding ways to navigate their life and navigate what they're experiencing without having too many real conversations it says it was about the sixth hour what that means was is it was about midday okay now to understand the importance, we have to understand the cultural aspect of what was going on here. So what would have happened is, the very first thing you would do in the morning when you wake up is you would go and draw water for the whole day. But for some reason, this woman was only going to draw water at midday. At that time, there would have been no one there. So clearly she was avoiding people. And we live in a world where This device keeps us away from people, keeps us from interacting. And we find so many devices to to keep us away from real conversations. And this is where relationship comes in. Because the people that we meet and are in our world, we can get the phones away and we can probe, and we can ask questions, and we can speak to them, and we can get beyond the surface, yeah? Because, you know, guys, it's easy for us to talk about sports for the most part, and we keep it at that. Like, most guys could get together for four hours and talk sport and action films, <laughs> and say nothing else beyond that. Women are generally better at it, at having real conversations, but we all need to have these real conversations, yeah. and we live in a world of brokenness. And the answer is Jesus. Yeah. And so, says a woman from Samar- Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, "Give me a drink." The Samaritan woman said to him, "How is it that you, a Jew," Ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. And Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that was saying, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where are you going to get water from? And that's what some conversations are going to look like. Because if we think about it, Jesus is saying, you could have this amazing gift. And her response is actually quite defensive, isn't it? It's, why are you talking to me? Yes. It's pretty much what she's saying. And then Jesus presses past that. He doesn't ignore it. He presses past the pain that she's responding with and says, if you knew what I was giving you, you would have asked, and I would have given you way much more than just water. And her response is still quite tongue-in-cheek. It's like, well, you've got no buckets, mate. <laughs> the well's pretty deep. Where are you going to get his water from, lad? Yeah? It's still quite defensive. Like, have you ever spoken to someone and their first response is defensive or guarded? But then we see the response of Jesus. We see someone who's so focused on sharing the gospel. And not in the sense of, you know, like those really annoying salespeople who just want to get you to say Yes. Ignore everything you've said to them and just want you to say yes. But you get really annoyed with them. It's not in that instance that we see Jesus is so focused. But have you ever heard the phrase, um, like a wounded lion? Or hurt people hurt people? Essentially what's happening is, when you have a wound, you respond out of your pain sometimes. And we see a woman here who is responding out of her pain. Some people respond in a harsh way. Some people are just cold and guarded. But ultimately, it's their pain that they're responding out of. And what we see is an image of of how we should communicate with people. We don't ignore their pain, but we don't respond to their pain in the sense of when they're guarded, we get defensive, and we get aggressive, and we get abrasive. But what we see is a God who still loves And still speaks and still tells a woman of the love of Christ. When we have our conversations, we might come up against people who are guarded. We might come up against people who don't want to know. How will we respond? Will we respond and be like, forget you then. Will you be upset that they've rejected you coming into their world and telling them about something that they had no idea you were going to tell them about? Or will we understand that their pain is probably what's speaking? And rather than respond to their pain, we say, Jesus still loves you. He cares for you. And you know, we talked about being led by the Spirit and sometimes the Spirit will lead you to say things that they had no idea you were going to say. And that will be the door that unlocks the conversation. But again, this is where relationship comes into it. Because that's when we're able to go deeper and to have these conversations and to scratch below the surface. And then what we then see is that it's really quite strange because after Jesus says all that, she's like, okay, give me, give me, where can I get this water? And most people were like, yes, well done. Sign her up, get her details. One of the team is going to come down and speak to you and tell you about the great decision you just made. But he goes further and says, go and call your husband. At that point, you'd be like, whoa, Jesus, we've got her. She said, give me the water. She said, give it to me. And you're like, no. Jesus goes beyond that response and goes to the source of the pain. Like at this point, she's still not actually really said, yeah, I'm going to be a Christian. But she was brought to Jesus. She met him. And then because she saw Jesus, what did she go and do? She ran into her town, if you know the story. And she told people and said, come and see a man who told me everything that I ever did. And then they came. And in verse, I'll I'll read it. Verse 39. I think this is so amazing. What it says in verse 39. Is that many Samaritans from that town believed in him. Because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Your testimony is important your life experience is important you might try and discredit yourself and say well I don't have this story that other people have I don't have the same I didn't go from like being a drug addict to being saved that doesn't matter that doesn't discredit what Christ has done in your life your story is still important and your story will still bring people to Jesus but then when we read further it says so the So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there for two days. And many believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this indeed is the savior of the world. When you've seen Jesus, you'll bring people to see him. Then they will meet Jesus for themselves and they will say, you brought me, but I've met him and he's changed my life. Then they in turn will go and do the same. It's good for us to talk. It's good for us to share the good news that we that we have. It's good for us to talk to the people in our world. And I'll be honest, it's not always easy. Yeah, I'm not up here saying that it's the easiest thing to do. Because the first time I mentioned to those guys that I went to church, it was like, oh, i go to church. But then the next time it was, oh yeah, yeah, no, I had a, I had a great time, Sunday I went to church, I had a great time, in ch- oh church, tell me about that. Why do you believe what you believe? And then you have the opportunity to begin sharing. If you've got mates that will text you later or message you later. what you up to I'm just just getting home from church sometimes it's easier to text it than to say it but you start somewhere yeah I'm not getting up I'm not here saying that I am a great evangelist because I still get nervous from time to time I'll be honest me and my wife did a a a mission trip before we got married and we were going around um, Manchester and London witnessing to people on the streets. It was difficult to begin with. But then when you've got people around you who they themselves are sharing the gospel, you too share the gospel and you find a way. We all have a story. We all have people in our world that I couldn't couldn't reach the people that are in your world and you might not be able to reach people that are in my world. And so we share the gospel and we give them the love of Christ. And when we've brought them to Christ, they will meet him for themselves. And he will change their life. Amen.